0: if you want to have a good afterlife, you know, recycle properly. I mean the future should be where everything is reused that can be reused. I think companies play a part. If there's like 10 companies doing something and then before people said it can't be done and the government wasn't doing anything, companies doing the thing is part of the movement to show that it can be done. The drops in the ocean are important. I mean if you put a bit of mercury into uh, someone's lake, there's a drop in the lake, but it's still gonna have a big impact. Garden oil will be for anyone with a house, anyone with a front door, anyone with a garden. To see no one using PTFE, no one using petrochemicals in their lubricant formulas, that would be the goal of, of Green Oil UK.
1: The 1.5 degree limit is achievable. 1.5 within reach. So, to keep that 1.5 goal in sight,
0: a 1.5 degree budget, vital 1.5 degrees climate target,
1: the climate time bomb is ticking. Hello, you're listening to the climate podcast from 1.5 degrees Dow. I'm Julia Marisova, and today I'm talking to Simon Nash, the founder of the Green Oil. Simon is a pioneer trying to address the environmental concerns of the lubricants industry. He is just about to launch his new product, and in this episode we are talking not only about the history of his business and his upcoming Kickstarter campaign, but we will also talk about the issues caused by the production and use of the petrochemical-based lubricant products and the role of small businesses. Driving sustainability agenda. Simon, thank you very much for your time today. Shall we start with the introduction? Could you tell us about your background?
0: Sure. Hi, I'm Simon Nash from Green Oil. My company makes the world's greenest range of bicycle maintenance products. I started the company over 10 years ago now. I was riding my bike through a river, felt bad about my chain oil going into the water, and said to my friend, Well, there must be an eco friendly chain oil. And there was nothing on the market. Many of the products even said dangerous for the environment on the bottle. So in my last year of university, created uh, an eco-friendly lubricant uh, called Green Oil. And uh, now, it's, uh, now it's a company and I'm selling products all around the world.
1: What did you discover when you tried to find more environmentally friendly alternatives?
0: I found that there were many products even worse than the one that I was using. So um, I remember going to the shop shelves of some local bike shops um a local Halfords uh, shop as well and some of them even had this symbol on the back saying uh, it's like dangerous for the environment with a dead fish and a tree on it and you know the manufacturers know this stuff is going to be used on bikes which are almost 100% used outside you know maybe if you're riding a bike on a on an oil tanker or or something like that then it, it never goes outside right but um most The majority of bikes are all used outdoors and all of this stuff will go into the environment. So instead of a product that says dangerous for the environment on it, just seems absolutely criminal to me. And then you look into the some of the ingredients like PTFE, uh, poly tetrafluoroethylene. Um, it's not biodegradable and it actually makes a carcinogen when it's manufactured. So when it's manufactured, one of the chemicals which goes into the environment causes cancer. There's a great movie about this called Dark Waters and people were born with birth defects because of because of ptfe manufacturing and in america they're now using a different chemical for the manufacturer so instead of pfoa it's called gen x i think they named the chemical gen x to kind of uh mix up the google rankings so if you search for gen x of course it refers to uh people a certain age right and now that has been shown to cause cancer in rats and people are suffering nearby who you know, so the story is continuing, and of course, they need to now prove, in you know, indefinitely that this is also a human carcinogen that's going that way. Of course, a lot of PTFE is manufactured in in China, where they're still using PFOA. It's still going into the environment, and the harm is still caused. And I know some of my competitors are using PTFE made in China for people's uh, eco-friendly bicycles.
1: So talking about products for maintenance of the bicycles, lubricants and cleaners. What are they typically made of?
0: So I guess I'd separate cleaners and, and bike uh, bike lubricants. So cleaners actually under EU law are generally all biodegradable. So they're not so harmful these days. Um, they can do a bit of harm to the environment before they biodegrade, especially when there are strong solvents in there. Some of them now claim to use uh, nanotech in the formula, so that probably has an impact as well. I guess with cleaning products as well, a lot of it is actually the water. So any cleaning product you buy in any sector is generally over 90% water. So, you know, we criticize people for buying lots of bottled water or the carbon footprint of shipping that weight around the planet and the country, but actually cleaning products are similar. So for example, with our bike cleaner, it's only a third full. So the the cyclist adds the water and that reduces the carbon footprint of shipping by about two-thirds. And all the formula is biodegradable. And actually there's a minimal impact on the manufacturing of the product. We use a detergent made from coconut oil instead of a petrochemical-based detergent. So some detergents are petrochemical-based, but they are biodegradable. So you still got the impact of the petrochemical manufacturing and oil exploration and so on. Um for lubricants, so you have the petrochemicals used to make the uh, the long chain molecules in the lubricant, and then the the additives like PTFE, which are arguably worse because they have carcinogens used in their production and leach carcinogens into the environment when they're made and then you've got the PTFE itself, which just accumulates in the human body tissue and the environment. Some people say well it's not carcinogenic if it doesn't break down, that's questionable and then also if it does actually break down you know, in the, in the body then it creates PFOA which is a known human carcinogen and they've done tests like it's just prolific this chemical it's absolutely everywhere on every continent on the planet PTFE and PFOA are present so yeah these are really harmful things. You also have things like the packaging as well which is uh, another area of environmental impact. So this idea of like closed loop system, so you use a product, it gets recycled, turned into a new product, that's used and then that's a continuous loop, almost independent of nature, which I've helped to create for green Isle. So in 2010, my company was actually the first British company to manufacture a bottle with 100% recycled plastic. So that's from in, in
1: in your industry or In the in and...
0: a, anywhere as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. So I was the first company working with that packaging company to do this. Even Innocent Smoothies, the kind of green pioneer, were not using one hundred percent recycled content in their packaging. So that was something really to be proud of. So yeah, that was uh, that was the packaging to make sure the packaging was made of recycled plastic. I've always had a buyback scheme with packaging, so Depending on the product between 10 and 20p, I think for the agent Apple it's a bit more because it's a big big metal bottle. Um, We buy back the packaging so you can bring the packaging and get 10 or 20p for the bottle which is the bottle deposit system that essentially they still have in, in lots of European countries. In Germany and Austria they still have a deposit system. In the UK we had a deposit system but in Margaret Thatcher's time The packaging companies were allowed to get away, Coca-Cola Schweppes were allowed to get away with abolishing the system uh, to save a bit of money. And of course that cost goes on to the taxpayer to dispose of of the packaging. So um, it was nice to show with Green Oil that you can have 100% recycled plastic packaging. And every bottle comes out a slightly different colour, which is what nice. What
1: I want to know is whether customers are actually returning these bottles. What is the success rate with that? Uh, the
0: success rate is very low, unfortunately. We do refill. Why, why, why do
1: you think it's happening? Why people are not keen to send them back?
0: So I think it's the postage and the inconvenience of postage. We do have a few customers doing it. We do five litre refill vessels for bike shops, where the bike shop can offer the discount to the customer. I think it's not part of culture at the moment. And I think the incentive isn't big enough. I think it should probably be more like 50p to justify the return. Yeah. And I think it's kind of laziness to an extent. And people also think recycling is extremely green. Of course, reuse is much greener because there's no transporting of the, well, there's less transporting of the goods, but yeah, we've got like a new refill system for bike shops. So then they can offer the discount to the customer. The bike shop gets that discount in their in their margins. There's no loss for them, uh, and then that that's much greener that that refill system via the bike shop rather than via the office here, where people can post the product back.
1: Uh, all experts in circular economy say that recycling is actually not that green. So that actually creating products which are completely biodegradable or reusing products is much more beneficial for the environment. Hmm. What do you think about that?
0: Um, I mean, I dispute it when people say that uh, recycling isn't green. I mean, it is green. If you live in Swindon, there's a book called Ecologic published a few years ago, and it said, well, actually, Swindon is full of empty mines. So actually, if the recycling plant is in Scotland, it's more green to send the stuff to landfill if you live in Swindon, for example, which is one argument. I mean, the future should be where everything is reused that can be reused. And then every local, uh, you know, every part of the UK, every county, I suppose, would have its own recycling facility. Then that's always sustainable. The miles for recycling are reduced. I think when recycling is not green, it's, for example, when uh, the councils assume that people are stupid and they have a very top-down view of people. They go, oh, they won't understand three different types of plastic. They're all morons. Only we can. You know, they have this attitude. They don't tell you which types of plastic can be recycled. And then you have, for example the Quality streets, polypropylene tubs being recycled and they're actually going to Malaysia to an abandoned rainforest and they just sit there and someone's issued a license saying oh yeah we're going to recycle these goods from the UK here in Malaysia but unfortunately in many cases as pointed out by Hugh Fernie-Witton stole the uh, British environmentalist in the documentary, Yeah, they just sit there and they're not sorted. And also burning, Yeah, because they they,
1: they don't always have the capacity to send it off. Mm. And I know that in our local council we have incinerators and you can often see how they burn things.
0: Yeah, and then it's kind of um, a weird system of, I mean, hopefully that's just transitional and then there'll be less market incentive to burn stuff and more market incentive to recycle it. In the UK now, and I like to think I was part of uh, the movement to make this happen, uh, plastic packaging has to contain a percentage of recycled plastic and that's the same with cardboard boxes in the UK large box manufacturers have to have 75% recycled content Oh, maybe it's 25% yeah we have 75 to 85% recycled content in our cardboard boxes with the rest being FSC certified sustainable the same is now happening for plastics and that percentage of recycled content will go up and up Um,
1: Tell me more about that campaign.
0: I just mentioned it to a few people and wrote to my MP um, and saying, look, well, we're doing it with what I'm doing and we're using 100% recycled content. It's already happening with cardboard boxes. We could do it for plastic thing. And then a few years later, it's become law. So probably lots of people have been saying the same thing. I think companies play a part. If there's like 10 companies doing something and then before people said it can't be done, and the government wasn't doing anything, companies doing the thing is part of the movement to show that it can be done. So Greenpeace invented the fridge that didn't contain CFCs. Before that, people said, well, you need CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, to... you need them for refrigeration. So the hole in the ozone layer caused by these chemicals, well, we can't do anything about it. And then, of course, they commissioned the production of this fridge. More and more companies produced this fridge without CFCs. And then eventually the government went, well, it can be done, there's an alternative, these companies are doing it, now we're going to make it law. And then you had the Montreal Protocol.
1: So you do believe that individuals have the power of changing laws and regulations?
0: Yeah, I do, I do. And um, the plastic bag tax is another example. The Environment Minister a couple of governments ago said, oh, you couldn't have a plastic bag tax, it's not practical. And then, uh, well, I remember at my student union shop, you know, we got a plastic bag tax into the student union shop, which showed it could be done. (laughs) Obviously lots of people doing similar things to that. And then more and more people using their own reusable bags, maybe 10, 20% of the population using their own cotton bag, going to the supermarket. And then a few campaigns around it, there's someone that created a bag that said, uh, this isn't a plastic bag, you might remember. And then lots of companies giving away reusable bags. And then eventually I think the government were like, we can do it there won't be a big public backlash and now it's a law and now plastic bag use has gone down 80 to 90 percent, you get charged 10p if you're uh, lazy or forgetful enough to not take your bag and uh, yeah and, and it works and that started with, with people, people action.
1: Could you tell us a bit more who your customers
0: are? Sure yeah, uh, my customers are people who uh, ride bikes, um, some people buy the products because they're more eco-friendly. Um, other people buy them because they're, the products just work, and then the green aspect is a bonus. And then some people buy the products because they're green, and then the fact that they uh, they work well is a bonus. Um, so yeah, anyone who rides a bike, um, they're a similar price to. I mean, it's not an expensive product, so. No excuses even if someone's poor to not be able to avoid
1: it. collaborations or partnerships to further your mission of promoting environmentally friendly alternatives to better chemicals?
0: It's a good question. Um, we were a commercial partner of Friends of the Earth for a few years and I have wholesalers who sell my products um, and then bike shops, sell the products. They're kind of collaborations of sorts. Green oil sponsors Green Drinks London, which is an, an event that I organize. Yeah, those are the those are the collaborations.
1: What do you think are the main considerations which should be taken into account when developing sustainable products and how do you incorporate these considerations in your work?
0: I think probably four things. I guess is the climate change impact of the product or service. Secondly, the sustainability of the inputs. So the materials used, for example, fossil fuels or sustainable plants or... Plastics, if they're recycled or not, for example. Yeah, the same sustainability of the inputs, sustainability of the outputs, if it's actually a sustainable product or not. I mean, if you're making a plastic product that's going to end up outdoors and flake away bits of plastic into the environment, that's bad, even if the product is made of recycled plastic, for example. And then, I think the fourth thing would be sustainability around what you're doing. You know, is the paper in your office? FSC certified or recycled, um, are you using a renewable energy supplier, is the lighting LED, all these factors. You know, And I think, I think one thing that a lot of big companies forget to do is actually upcycling, you know. Actually if you're receiving pallets or you've got interesting things that are, are waste products, why not offer them to people as a freebie, you know, leave them somewhere in the office car park with a sign saying please take me and encourage people to reuse like that. So yeah, those would be the four. Aspects.
1: What kind of change would you like to see in, in your industry? You started this movement for environmentally friendly products for bikes, mm. but what's your dream on, on a larger scale for your company and just generally in industry?
0: Yeah, well it'd be good to see every bike shop selling green oil rather than the petrochemical brands out there.
1: Preferably yours? <laughs>
0: Preferably mine, exactly, yeah, the green oil. Um, are there
1: more companies coming up with this product?
0: There are, yes. One of my competitors makes kind of, it looks a bit like the green oil range, but they still make their petrochemical products. So they're kind of greenwashing, they're actively promoting their products with PTFE and petrochemicals in whilst making a green kind of range. In a way, this is kind of a good thing, but at the same time, I mean, it'd be great in law if it was illegal to make products which polluted the environment in my industry, which is perhaps, you know, a death nail for what I'm doing if everyone was doing it but then that's the right thing to happen because you know people are getting cancer disproportionately in our in our world and the water is being polluted so to see no one using PTFE no one using pet chemicals in their lubricant formulas that would be well that would be that would be the goal of, of Green Oil UK and again with packaging for every company to be using 100% recycled plastic would be amazing I kind of had shown that it can be done with this company so why isn't everyone doing it is the question, it can be done.
1: Some people would say that plastic packaging that's a drop in the ocean compared to combustion of fossil fuels so really we should be focusing on big things. Do you agree with that or, or do you think replacing products which are made from byproducts from production of oil and gas are also important? address?
0: Yeah I, th- well, I, th- I think they're all important actually because you could look at it as like well one area of land with litter on it and then animals choking on the litter or just looking unpleasant or knowing the plastics there leaching stuff into the water table even if that's just like one square mile that's still important. I also think there's kind of different areas of environmentalism you've got climate change which is kind of the burning of fossil fuels pretty much and then you've got the area of of litter and pollution, and then you could say all well, plastics are kind of one area which is kind of all it's a couple of areas because you've got oil production and you know five to ten percent of oil production is used in for plastics, all well, that's the oil oil spills and things like that associated with plastic production uh, and then of course, you've got the energy used with plastic production as well, so I think they're all important and uh Yeah, I mean, even one small garden, you know, even planting one tree, I think, is important. I feel like the kind of drop in the ocean argument is actually almost to distract people and give them a sense there's no hope in order to do nothing whatsoever. At the same time, I see the argument of, well, if you're an aircraft company, you know, flying lots of flights, maybe unnecessary flights and empty planes from London to Scotland, and then they give you a biodegradable straw on the plane... Well, yeah, I mean that's not offsetting the, the pollution from the from the flight, for example. Especially, you know, one one aviation company lost one of their train routes and then uh then they started running a flight route between the locations and and then that was that was Virgin Airlines and they're doing kind of green things for their cutlery on the plane. That would be an example of a drop in the ocean versus the overall picture. But I think, yeah, the the drops in the ocean are important. I mean, if you put a bit of mercury into uh, someone's lake that's a drop in the lake but it's still gonna have a big impact
1: one of the things which really worries me is that plastic and just generally the products made from oil and gas they are so embedded into our life Um, Mm. our clothes has plastic our computers these cameras with which i'm filming uh, your bike uh, the tires are made of rubber so it's almost impossible to get away and uh, not very practical because the, there aren't many alternatives. What's your view on the position of climate activists who are fighting to uh, stop production of oil and gas, like Stop Oil or hmm. Fridays for Future?
0: Um, it's interesting. Um, just Stop Oil. Um, so there was a great Greenpeace video where they got an actor to actually explain what that meant. and I... <laughs> and I do think it's not not entirely clear sometimes they mean no new oil extraction and fossil fuel projects they don't mean like stop everything stop the ambulances filling up with petrol they actually don't mean that they mean just no new expiration and then of course the market forces would result in us getting getting weaned off of fossil fuels which I think is is reasonable i think we should be aware of the kind of the benefits of, of plastics and, and, and oil and where that's got us without being ideological and saying well because we've benefited let's just keep it going and forget about the pollution and then on the other hand people say well because plastics are a problem and climate change is a problem let's use zero plastics zero fossil fuels from now and they're two kind of opposite positions which are uh, probably both unrealistic. I do respect people that live on uh, on farms, there's um, a guy called Simon Farley who wrote the book uh, Meet a Benign Extravagance and they've created a, a commune where essentially they live almost fossil fuel free um, and yeah, they live in the closed loop system, farm the land and live a sustainable life really without plastic inputs or petrochemical inputs, uh, hardly any at all anyway. Um,
1: That's probably completely unrealistic for the uh, for the rest of the world.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it could be, actually. And especially when, if you think like the unrealisticness of going off fossil fuels completely, it can be done. I mean, who would have thought we'd have electric cars being kind of normal, like 20 years ago or 15 years ago or 10, 10 years ago? People say, oh, yeah, Tesla's great. but. Yeah, that's unrealistic. But actually now every car company is is making electric cars. Maybe you can have a small amount of oil extraction to make plastics. Maybe eventually, I mean my phone, I've got like a Nokia, I can't remember, a Nokia G51 I think it's called. And essentially it's 52% recycled materials. I think that's really significant. All plastics could be recycled and made into new plastic products. So why shouldn't the cables on a camera All these things, they could be made from plastics. And especially if the government's forced recycling, that will mean there's a huge amount of, essentially cheaper resource, which is cheaper than virgin oils, um, to make plastic product. We could kind of live off the plastics already created, already in the environment, and use those to make more plastic products, if necessary.
1: Is there anything preventing your big competitors from just recreating very similar product? why are they not doing
0: that? yeah, why are they not doing that? I think greed and lack of ambition, I think those are the reasons yeah, yeah but sure, truly
1: the, the trend for sustainability and biodegradable products is on the rise now it uh, is the the greed should be driving them
0: yeah, yeah, um, but I think with every industry, I think it takes i mean lots of industries just aren't aren't on board with it or they just don't think it's relevant to them or they'll just uh get a couple of electric vans and think that that's enough. Um, and I think when also there's so much investment and marketing behind one formula, for them to turn around and then say, oh, this formula is actually really bad for the environment and we've come up with a new one, they're kind of unwilling to do that sort of.
1: So you are the pioneer. And yeah, so exactly. Early, yeah. early adopter.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So I know you're planning your next Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. So So what's the plot there?
0: Yeah, so um, the new Kickstarter product, it's called uh, Gardinol, it's essentially a general household lubricant. There are brands like GT85 and and WD40 and they contain petrochemicals. GT85 boasts about using PTFE. Again, PTFE creates a carcinogen when it's manufactured and PTFE is not biodegradable. It accumulates in the environment and in human beings and other mammals and animals around the world. So garden oil is an alternative and it's for everything, for door hinges, for bikes obviously, snowboard bindings, you can use it on almost anything. So um, the new Kickstarter is for that. With green oil, it's it's basically the bike industry. Garden oil will be for anyone with a house, anyone with a front door, anyone with a garden, which is basically everyone. I mean everyone lives unless you're homeless, has a front door, so it's for everyone and I'm really excited by it. The things that people are currently using are bad for human health and the environment, so that's something that I want to be changing with this new product.
1: I also have seen your storyboard, it's quite exciting, so maybe you mm-hmm. could share what you're planning for um, for your film for the Kickstarter.
0: So the video is kind of fun. I'm going to be sitting at my desk and then I say what I'm from the bike industry and then someone jumps through the paper behind me on a bicycle. Then I say, well, we're growing from the bike industry into other areas, including garden tools. And then someone comes along with a plant and I cut the plant with the shears. And um, essentially the video goes on like that. You can use it for desk drawers and someone sprays it on the desk drawers, then on a skateboard wheel, and then I ride the skateboard off the uh, off the desk. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the video, the video goes on like that. Yeah, it's really exciting. Quite a few jokes along the way and hopefully people will enjoy it. It's gonna be a fun, a fun, enjoyable video to watch and hopefully people will also share it and uh, invest in my, in my products.
1: Uh, launching new products is quite a big task uh, yeah. already, but uh, have you already got any thoughts about your future products?
0: I've got some ideas, but um, cash flow has meant focusing on the existing sort of profitable products. got an idea for a new brush, got the prototype of that already. Some brake fluid as well is another, another idea. So yeah, there are things on the horizon. Possibly a, uh, a bike polish as well. Okay,
1: amazing. Yeah. Thanks. I always ask all my guests about what they do to live a sustainable lifestyle themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually gave up flying for about five or six years. Um, I do occasionally fly now and I probably shouldn't. Actually, if someone said let's go to Scotland for the weekend or fly to somewhere for the weekend I, I actually wouldn't do that. I actually ironically flew to a climate change conference in, in Bulgaria earlier this year. But yeah, to like not fly too much, I think it's really important. And to avoid flying, I have got the train to Ibiza, places in, in Germany. Got the train all the way there from, from London. Obviously there's a boat involved if you go to Ibiza. So yeah, flying less. Um, I make an effort not to eat that much meat. So yeah, I could a lot of vegetarian food if I'm out and the food is, there's a vegan or vegetarian option, I'll, I'll generally choose it. And I do make an effort to recycle and and compost and things like that. But also, yeah, if there's something in a recycling bin that some idiot has contaminated the recycling bin with, I'll try and uh, do make the effort to pull it out sometimes. You know, that's just pretty lazy and selfish. And uh, Back in the olden days, they would say, "Oh, you know, bad people went to hell. How would you class them now? I I think if you want to have a good afterlife, recycle properly. (laughs) Sometimes that results in good karma. You see some recycling bin contamination. And then you end up finding, well, I found a whole bag of of fabrics the other day. Um, The cleaner at a clothing company had put all this stuff in the recycling bin and uh, found some really amazing fabric in there.
1: That's great. Thank you very much for your time, Simon. We wish you good luck with the launch of your new product, Oil. You're welcome, thank you. Thank you very much for your attention. Please check out Simon's website, green-oil.net, especially if you love cycling. In a few days at the very end of august simon will be live with his kickstarter campaign for a new product a fully degradable plant-based general household lubricant i have helped simon with the production of his kickstarter video which was lots of fun as we did indeed film a person cycling through the wall and we filmed simon skateboarding in the studio Please check it out, share it and support Green Oil on their mission to eliminate PTFE chemicals from lubricant products. Let me play you a little extract from his Kickstarter video. We will provide the link to his campaign in the notes once it goes live.
0: Hi, I'm Simon from Green Oil. I created the world's greenest bike lubricant range. Now I've created something new to make the world a greener place. Gardenol, the DIY and gardening lubricant. Gardenol even works as a polish for plastics. Hello Green Oil. Oh, hello there. I would love to purchase 24 cans of your Gardenol for my many admirers. <laughs> yes, you can send a check payable to Green Oil UK Limited or go to green-oil.net and support our Kickstarter whether you're a cyclist, you need oil for your garden tools, or you're anyone with a front door. I'm Simon from Green Oil, and the gardener party just got started.
1: This was a production of Climate Community 1.5 Degrees Down. If you want to follow, join, or support our community, you can find the links in the description of the podcast, produced by Shortlisted Productions. Thank you very much for listening.